Hi everyone and welcome back to the In Our Backyard podcast with your host Jen Galler. And in this episode, I talk with Therese Fick, who is the NC Sustainable Economic Development Coordinator and Community Organizer for us here at Brettle. Community groups, especially our Brettle chapters, often use air monitoring as a tool for organizing. They are often concerned about the quality of air they breathe and how it may affect their health or the health of friends and family. With smaller, low-cost sensors available, groups have been increasingly engaged in monitoring the air quality in their neighborhoods to understand and reduce potential health risks. To define air monitoring, it is a systematic, long-term assessment of pollutant levels by measuring the quality and types of certain pollutants in the surrounding outdoor air. There are many reasons to do air monitoring, such as assess the extent of pollution, provide air pollution data to the general public in a timely manner, support implementation of air quality goals or standards, evaluate the effectiveness or emissions control strategies, provide information on air quality trends, provide data for the evaluation of air quality models, and support research. With Therese, we discuss the validity of community air monitoring, the process for a good air monitoring setup, what people can do with this information after, and how to keep these industries accountable for polluting our air. To contact and connect with Therese will be in the show notes below, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So hi, everyone. I'm with Therese Vick, who is a staff here on Brettle. She's a community organizer. And just starting out, could you explain what air monitoring is? Well, good morning, Jen. Air monitoring can be done in a number of ways. It can be done by local and state and federal agencies. It can be done by community groups, and it can be done by individuals. And what it is, is looking at the air in your community, whether you're looking at a particular facility or you're looking at what's in your neighborhood. Of course, that might involve a facility, but it's, it's using equipment to measure certain pollutants that are present in the air. Yeah, definitely. And then could you explain your background in community air monitoring? Yes. I first got interested in this back in the 90s, to be honest, when Gretel was doing the bucket brigade monitoring and got even more interested when I came back on staff in 2011. I have done monitoring with the what they call the buckets, and I'm doing air quotes here, but those were pieces of equipment that could be built by individuals or community groups that were approved by EPA to measure, to do grab samples of certain kinds of pollutants. So I've done monitoring with the bucket. I've done trainings on the bucket. I've done monitoring for particulates, which can be very problematic and and contribute to all kinds of health problems and can take other pollutants way down deep in your lungs. I've done monitoring with, for VOCs, that's volatile organic compounds like benzene. And I've done monitoring for formaldehyde. And honestly, the planning for each one of those kinds of things is individualized. And so, you know, that's just part of the whole package. Yeah. So I guess how would a community member or someone know what to test for? Would it be what they're smelling or what pollutants they think that industry is giving off? It could be what they're smelling, but, you know, and it, it's important if they're smelling something, they should call the, their local or state and possibly EPA agency to find out. But the best way to, to do it is to go to your agency, your local environmental agency, 
and look up the permit. Or you can also go to the EPA's toxics release inventory and other types of information that they prepare and, and release to look at what your facility or a facility like yours might be releasing. You might be just wanting to check what traffic, what kind of impact that traffic is having on your community. And so there are different types of, you know, constituents, contaminants that you would want to monitor for particulate matter being one of the biggest, but not the only. It just kind of depends on, you know, doing your research is one of the very, the most important. And I can talk about the other important things if that would help, Jen. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, you already mentioned it, but is this something that companies have to do or local citizens can do it as well? And then is there more validity in either? Most companies do not have to do monitoring and some do it, but it's not necessarily reported to your environmental agency. It depends on the kind of permit requirements that they have. And frankly, I don't know that their data is any more informative than what community monitoring does. However, that being said, regulatory agencies and industry often discount you know, monitoring results from an advocacy group or an activist group. Yeah. So Is it usually local citizens doing air monitoring? Is that where the popularity grew from with it? Or has it always been something that bigger companies have been doing? Well, some bigger companies have been doing it, but I think that the lack of focus and attention on what is happening at the fence line in frontline communities has created the need for communities to do their own monitoring. And I think EPA has tried off and on, you know, for the past 10 years, I've been back on staff for Brettle. The EPA has tried with some success to educate the public and educate state agencies on this trend. But for example, it may not be this way now, but our Division of Air Quality here in North Carolina was and likely still is very skeptical of any monitoring that was done by local communities. Mm, Yeah. And then since you've had such a vast history with air monitoring, just talking about like the process for local citizens, what the process is for a good air monitoring setup and collection process. It's like a polluting industry is in their community and they want to collect data for it. Well, the first thing that they need to decide, well, one of the first things, not the only first thing, is what their goal is, because that depend on what kind of monitor they want to use or if they even want to do it at all. If their intention is to use it in court, that is a sticky wicket, to be honest, because there are few pieces of equipment that are accessible to communities that would be helpful in court. However, Mm -hmm. if they want to use information in the court of public opinion, there's lots of ways to do that, but they have to assess their commitment they have to, to plan for the event. They have to train for the event and they have to research the facility. For example, when I do plan an air monitoring event that I'm doing with folks in the community, I've done some by myself, but that is not optimal. We generally have a training ahead of time and we might have two. And we also do research. Some of our chapter folks in, in environmental leap went downtown to the Division of Air Quality here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we looked at the permits for the facility that they were looking at to see what we might want to try to monitor for. 
what we would be most likely to, you know, to see, to find. You find out that people will commit to it because going out and monitoring once a month is not going to be helpful. Not if you want to show any kinds of trends or any potential excess emissions or anything like that. If you don't have commitment from people in your neighborhood or in your group to go out and do regular monitoring, and I, when I say regular, it may or may not be every day, but a couple of days a week, and it doesn't have to be at the same time either. And in fact, it probably shouldn't be because that'll give you a better picture. So you, that's one of the primary things you have to gauge, kind of look at, is the commitment that you have within your group. The second thing is, is if you assess that you have the commitment needed, you need to look at what, like I said, research what emissions are coming out. So that will lead you to help you make a decision in what kind of equipment to use. And with equipment, these days, I honestly recommend renting before you buy because, you know, if you're just trying to find out what's local in your own yard or in your own backyard, front yard, you can probably find something between one and $500 that would at least give you a picture of that. But if you want to try to do any area monitoring or do any facility monitoring, you're going to need pieces of equipment that could be considerably more expensive. And so renting before you buy something gives you an idea of how user-friendly something is. If it picks up anything, you know, rather than spending several thousand dollars or hundreds of dollars on something that is not going, going to be helpful, then you have to also in your research, you have to look at location. What is the optimal location? It has to be a downwind. It has to be accessible and safe. You should not trespass. And, you know, you also have to pay attention to what your weather conditions are. So, you know, it's, it's not just go buy a $500 monitor and go out there and stand. It's a little more complicated than that. And to be honest, I have learned more over the years in doing this. I've learned more about the pitfalls than I have anything, which is good because every mm -hmm. time I, I do a monitoring session, I learn something. So this is good. But that's just the kind of expectations that community groups should have. It's going to take some time. You're going to have to do some training. Sometimes the equipment companies will help you with that. Sometimes another, you know, an environmental organization will help you with that. And the other thing involved in that, like I said, when to monitor. Well, there are different times to monitor depending on the, the pollutant. But in things like relative humidity and wind, you know, how much wind there is can it, you know, impact your monitoring session. And primarily, additionally, is why are you monitoring? Do you want to inform your community? Do you want to inform your local government? Do you want to, you know, kind of use this in the court of public opinion? Do you want to put it in front of your, you know, your regulatory agency to say, look, this is what we found, you know, what are you going to do about it? But like I said, if your anticipation is to be able to use it in court, you have to carefully, you know, be sure the kind, the pieces of equipment that you use are allowed to be used in court and be prepared for pushback from your state and agency and the EPA. Mm. Yeah, that kind of just goes into my next question of what people can do with this information after it's collected. So that kind of just goes back into what you were saying of know that before you even start is have that purpose and goal in mind for what you want to do with it after. 
Right. Right. Yeah. And, and then, I'm not trying, I'm mm-hmm. not trying to discourage anybody from it, but it's better to be forewarned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have realistic expectations for for what, you know, for your project rather than than not. It's better to, you know, kind of look through all of this and and then that helps you make a good decision, I think. Yeah, definitely. And then could you talk a bit about your personal experience with air monitoring, where and why, and then what results you got from it and what you accomplished with that? Well, one of the most interesting, not the only, but one of the most interesting things that we did was with the bucket, which is the bucket brigade. And like I said, it collects a grad sample. We had two different trainings with that. And what we were doing was in Lee County, looking at the area that at the time when fracking in North Carolina was when the issue was really hot, we were looking in Lee County to check the area that would be most likely to be fracked first. You know, we couldn't guarantee that that would be the most likely place. But we had two hands-on trainings with the bucket. We also did spent quite a bit of time checking with GIS maps and so on to look at the, the thickness of the shale. I know I'm getting a little wonky here. But the thickness of the shale and where that was, where the thickest was, most likely to have gas in it. So we did all that. We did our research. And this is before the Division of Air Quality in North Carolina had done anything. So we did all that. We went out and had a monitoring event. And this was to be a baseline, which you have to be super careful about baseline stuff. But we went out and did a baseline. There was, we probably had eight people. And one of the things that, that I haven't mentioned is that it's fun. It's fun to do this together and to work on a project together with other people. But we had a good time. We did a good job. And how I know that we did a good job, we got our sample to the lab, which is California on time. And it gave us the readings, which showed that there were very little of the constituents that you would expect to find in a community that's been fracked. But about three months later, the Division of Air Quality here in North Carolina presented, a, I think the report cost them $12,000, $15,000 about where they would probably be looking to do any monitoring. Of course, they didn't place their monitor there, but the area that they would do monitoring. And I was sitting there in that meeting, and the thing that was so funny is it was exactly, exactly where we had monitored. Mm-hmm. And it didn't cost community groups or Brettle, twelve dollars to $15,000. And so that let me know that all our work was good and accurate. So anyway, it was kind of interesting. But other monitoring I've done is I've gone to some gas metering stations. I've done some formaldehyde monitoring. I've done a lot of particulate monitoring. We you know, tried to do some monitoring near a landfill, but we could not access property that was close enough for us to get any significant changes. But again, that that was one of the things that, you know, helped educate us on different kinds of stuff. Oh, and we also rented a VOC, a volatile organic compound that measures, what it measures is total VOCs, which would be, you know, benzene and other compounds like that. And it gives you a total reading. I've done some trainings on that as well. And we did some looking in various places with that. And that was a piece of equipment that we actually rented. And a lot of these companies, like I said, will help you to figure out these machines. They'll at least, you can go in, they'll show you how to use them. 
Sometimes their rental rates, if you keep it for three days rather than one, is just as cheap as, as keeping it for one. So that's another thing you need to factor in your expenses. Yeah. Yeah. Going off that, I guess, if local citizens are doing this, how much should they budget or have in mind to spend for the whole project? And how long would they expect to do this to get accurate results? Well, again, it depends on what they're monitoring for. Mm. And so that could be a few hundred to several thousand dollars. And honestly, the most precious thing is people's time. And so that needs to be looked at even before folks start talking about a budget, because, you know, unless you are able to get a trailer monitor, something that you have a piece of private property that's downwind of a facility, you know, to leave it on, which is that's going to be several hundred thousand dollars. You're going to have to be doing some, you know, to stand there. You can also do some passive monitoring. There are some air monitors that require Internet. They require electric power some do not some use batteries but like I said it can be several hundred to several thousand dollars with the most precious commitment being people's time because it won't matter if they buy a piece of equipment and then they don't use it Mm -hmm. yeah and then we all know that air and clean air is a human right so how can citizens or organizations keep polluting industries and companies accountable for polluting our air to do this air monitoring in the first place? Well, one thing to do, and it's it's fairly simple, is to get on your environmental agency's public notice list. And every state does it differently. And you can actually get on EPAs as well. But to get on their public notice list so that you get notices. Now, not every permit is going to be noticed, but through email or something you can get on their list and they will send you major permit new applications or draft permit applications and give you an opportunity to at least ask for a public hearing, but to participate in the public process, which can be very frustrating in and of itself. But that is your opportunity to make your voices heard and to see what's in your neighborhood. There's also computer tools and Jen, I can send you a couple EPA information and the North Carolina tool to see what's in your neighborhood. So there's several ways. That's the easiest way, though, is to to get on your state and or the EPA's public notes list. Yeah, definitely. If you want to send that to me, link that in like the show notes below for people who want to check that out. And then is there anything that we missed that you would like to discuss or think that would be important to add? I don't want people to feel like it's useless because it's very important for them to do this. There have been a number of communities in the country that have been able to get changes made at the local, state, and federal level because of their air monitoring projects. But the most important thing to do, like I said, is to to be sure you have the commitment and to prepare. That Mm -hmm. makes your likelihood of success more probable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Honestly, it's fun. We have fun. We've had fun every time we've done it with a group. And it's it's a good organizing tool. It's a good good way to connect with folks. So, you know, that that's another component of it is fun. Yeah, definitely. How can people contact or connect with you if they have questions or just want to reach out? They can email me. It's fine. And it's Therese, T-H-E-R-E-S-E dot Vic, V-I-C-K at gmail.com. 
Thank you so much to Therese for speaking with me. And as Therese said, if you want to sign up for your local air notices, I'll have some links down below. And tune in in two weeks for a new episode.